Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 254, The Editing Process with Ellen Datlow, an Icon 2013 panel. Today's episode is sponsored by Audio Comics and Zero One Publishing, producing the cyberpunk graphic novel Utopiates as an audio drama on Kickstarter. It's basically about the business of writing, and they tell you the stuff they wish that someone had told them when they got started as writers. You know, somebody can be a successful marketer and not necessarily provide a quality product. I'm going to let Moses go because he's frothing at the mouth to talk about this one. (laughs) (laughs) I like writing. I like reading. I like to immerse myself in books. That seems like a pretty good career choice. (laughs) Oh, you sound terrible. What happened? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Public Sci-Fi Thanks for checking out Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. Today's episode is a panel from the 2013 Icon, and I just wanted to read a quick bio of Ellen Datlow and announce that her newest anthology, Lovecraft's Monsters, is out. Uh, There's a story with Neil Gaiman in there and a bunch of other Lovecraftian horror short stories. Ellen has been an editor for over 30 years, first in book publishing, mostly editing short stories for Omni Magazine and Webzine, Event Horizon, a webzine, and Sci Fiction, the fiction area of SciFi.com. She currently acquires and edits short fiction for Tor.com and edits original and reprint anthologies. She's also released um, such books like After, The Best Horror of the Year, Supernatural Noir, and Queen Victoria's Book of Spells, an anthology of gas lamp fantasy. This panel is about an hour, but it's a great look into one of our top short fiction editors, um, just overall experience, what what she looks for in stories, uh, what not to do when submitting short fiction. If I'm not mistaken, this one also has Nancy Cress and Gregory Frost on there, and uh, it is kind of funny watching them, watching the three of them (laughs) on a panel. And if you like horror, I just reviewed Cold Brook by Tim Levin. It is a zombie apocalypse that meets multi-dimensional warfare. Uh, it's kind of got that fringe-type feeling, but excellent characters, very well written. I love zombies. I'm not afraid to admit it, uh, but I do get sick of them, and so it's hard for me to find a good one, and I think I found a good one in Cold Brook. So go check out our review on the website, and... Uh, Go check out the book, too. So, enjoy the show. Oh, all right. Okay. Start it's about the short that. story and short story editing. I'm Ellen Datlow. I'm a short story editor. And I guess they made me moderator because they've both written for me, and so I've edited them. And they can complain about my editing. So, uh, and this is, if you don't know already, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gregory Frost. I've been edited by her uh, a number of times. Yeah. Um, oh, you have to come who else are you besides that? Yeah, right. Oh, yes. And who else are you besides that? Well, um, I'm a fantasy, science fiction, and horror writer, mm-hmm. um, proudly. Um, 
most recently in Supernatural Noir, which, uh, which we don't have here. Of, of Ellen's, most recently of Ellen's projects, Supernatural Noir, which is a wonderful combination of very nasty fantasy and sort of film noir dark, uh, yeah. pulp 40s. Yeah. Jim Thompson. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There can okay. be bought bookstores everywhere. But not here. But not here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never mind. But there are some, actually, there are a bunch of, I'm selling a bunch of my anthologies in the dealer's room. He's in some of them. He signed his. She's in some of them. She hasn't signed hers yet. I didn't and know she that. is. <laughs> I'm Nancy Kress. Um, I've been writing for a long time. And during the course of that very long time, Ellen has edited me in two venues. One was when she was editor of Omni, she bought several stories from me and actually introduced me to the field in many ways. And then later no, on... The story. No, you know what? There was I'm a... not done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you had published a story in Omni before I got there. That isn't what I meant. Oh, all right. And then later on, she edited a series of rewritten fairy tales. Um, and I was in a number of those with different characters. By the time I got to Cinderella, nobody was left to take the point of view of, except one of the rats that it gets turned into a coachman. So that's what I took for my story, because everybody had Cinderella and the prince and, and the stepmother and the stepsister, so I got the rat. Well, no, she didn't have to. I mean, they were also, they were, it was all fair. Was, the whole book was not about Cinderella. It was all different fair. I wanted to do Cinderella. There was hardly anybody left, so I got the rat. Someone creative out there needs to do a t-shirt for Nancy that says, I got the rat. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't twist the tail. You're my twist of the tail, my cat anthology. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I didn't like that story. I know you bought it, but I didn't like it. Marigold Outlet. It's a nasty story. It's just a depressing story, but it's good. Oh. I like that much. What was the name of that? I feel like... It was Twisted the Tale, which was in paperback. Mass Market Pavement with a Harry Morris picture on it. You can probably get it online various places. Well, see, that raises an interesting question. Wait, wait, wait. Anyway. I don't remember if it was, I think it was ALA, because I also have <coughs> Tales of Wonder and Imagination, which is science fiction, fantasy, and horror about cats, and that's T-A-I-L. Which brings up... Which doesn't have that three. An so. interesting question. Okay. Sometimes writers don't like their stories as much as editors do. More often, <laughs> writers like their stories more than editors do. Uh, and in fact, <laughs> I will go on a tan on a segue, most... Writers have no clue if the stories are any good anymore. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, any time a writer has said to me, don't ever do this when you're submitting a story. Don't ever write. I think this is the best thing I've ever written. Because invariably, when any writer who I've published millions of times, hundreds of times before, it doesn't matter who they are, when they say that, I know I'm going to hate the story. That's <laughs> so I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying you know you don't have any idea about what is good and what is bad. But when someone says that to me, it's a, I know it is. I won't say that to you. Never say that to Ellen. On the other swing of the pendulum, however, uh, Asimov's magazine at one point, when Gardner does while I was editing it, got a story with a cover letter from somebody who said, "I know you're not going to buy this story from me." 
because your magazine sucks. But I'm, saying, I'm not making this up. More or less what they said about it was you publish crap. But I'm sending my story to you anyway. And yeah, and the editor. No, Gardner, Gardner's response was, well, that's really a good way to get somebody cranked up yeah, for right. your story. <laughs> yeah. Kill yourself now. The most interesting cover letter story I ever heard, this is back when you couldn't do it electronically. I'm talking way back. Um, the late Terry Carr was publishing Universe. And he was very, very slow. Um, stories would go to him, and they would take forever before he actually. So somebody sent him a story, and he didn't get to it and didn't get to it. And the writer sent him a letter saying, Dear Mr. Carr, I sent you this story six months ago, and I'd like to know whether you're buying it. And he didn't get to it, and he didn't get to it. Another month, couple months went by. Mr. Carr, I sent you this story almost a year ago, and you haven't made a decision. Would you please read my story? And he didn't get to it. So the writer wrote to his wife and said, Dear Mrs. Carr, I sent this story to your husband over a year ago, and he hasn't had the courtesy to respond, so please don't sleep with him until he reads it. <laughs> Represented a lot of short story writers, and very prominent ones: Michael Swan, with Gene Wolfe, um, Carolyn. I can't remember a lot of people, almost everybody in the field at a certain time, like in the early '80s. And I remember I, I got a submission from, by Gene Wolfe from Virginia, and I liked the story, but I thought it needed a little work. And I went back to Virginia saying, "Do you think Gene will work on this?" And I, I don't know if I went to Gene or Virginia, but it turned out that a whole bunch of manuscripts had gotten lost in the mail or in the post office, I'm not sure where. The story had been sold to someone else like six months or a year before. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> because this whole batch of manuscripts never got to me. So that was really weird. I don't know where they ended up. Yeah. You know, my very my second sale, and way, 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 way back, I didn't know, because I, I, I was working in isolation. I didn't know SIFO existed. I didn't know fandom existed. I didn't know conventions existed. I didn't know any of this stuff. We're talking mid-70s. I was just sending out stories and getting them back. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do multiple submissions. So the you second simultaneous. Simultaneous. So the ones that I, I sent out the story to a bunch of magazines, and the then-fledgling Asimovs bought it. But the next week, I got a letter from one of the other magazines, I don't even remember which one, and they, they said they wanted to buy it. So I wrote them back, very politely, and said that I had just sold it to Asimov. That night I get a call, not from the editor that I, the second editor, but from George Sithers, who was editing Asimov's, because the second editor had gone to him, and he had said, you can't do this. You do this and you're going to end up on a blacklist and nobody's going to buy from you. And I go, I don't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And my then husband said he never heard anybody apologize nine times in 60 seconds. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know anything. That's why it's good to ask editors questions or get guidelines. I didn't know any editors. Most guidelines. guidelines. No, but most things. Right. But did you ever look at guidelines for each other? I didn't know there were any guidelines. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know I right. Well, I didn't know. I mean, before I got to Omni, I didn't know that there were magazines. I'm sure you know more than Nancy. <laughs> but I didn't know that science fiction magazines existed before that Omni. I had read anthologies. I read best of the year anthologies. And it never really, I didn't really look at the copyright major. I didn't realize, oh, it came from some magazine. So, I mean, until I got to Omni, I didn't realize they were the, yeah. Let's talk about the editing process, seeing as that's okay. what this is about. Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. Just, just a thought. All right. Okay. 
So you get a story. In the middle, I get a story. You get a story. And I either reject it, and that if that happens, there's no editing process. There's no But then, right. And if but if I like a story and think that it's close enough, if there's some, if it's close enough to publishing, or it's something I really like and it's someone I've worked with before a lot and know that they can fix something. I will. Well, what kind of things do you think are fixable, and what kind of things will make you reject it instantly? Because I think this is well. The kind okay, of instantly is bad writing. I mean, instantly is something that you know just really awful writing. Just that's not even a question. Um, What's awful writing? Can you be a little more specific? They want to know what writers Sentence by sentence. Um, it's difficult to define it, other than the, I'm not talking about punctuation or grammar. I'm talking about story, words that do not do anything, that don't make me want to continue reading, basically. Mm -hmm. it, I, I want a story that I want to read the next line. If you read one line and you don't want to read the next line, sometimes you can skip a few lines, but if that happens in the paragraphs, the, read, the, the, per, the, the person who's buying the story is not going to continue. Unless, I mean, there's one exception. Now, there are stories that take a while to get going, and if it's someone who I've worked with before or really like their writing, I'll give them the benefit of that that there's a reason they're doing this. Now, I don't remember exactly why this was, and I'll have to go back to the story at some point to look at it. John Crowley's story, Snow, that I published in Omni, it was not an instantly engaging story, and I don't remember why, I just I haven't reread it in ages, but <clears throat> I knew I trusted Crowley enough to go with him and the story eventually, or pretty soon, like with a page, you know, kind of worked completely. Right. So, I mean, in that case, you might give the, re the writer the benefit of the doubt because they're doing something intentional. So writers don't usually get more than a page. No. Well, not, no. I mean, not unless it's, if it's someone I know and someone I work with, yes, I'll have so you trust that there's something. Or even if it's someone who I've worked with and they're inconsistent. I mean, there are writers I, who I buy some of their stories, but not all of their stories. And I will give them the benefit to go finish the story, that I will read the whole thing, whether, unless it's awful. I mean, and that's rare when it's someone who publishes regularly. What kind of mistakes do you see regularly in manuscripts? Mistakes? Yeah, I mean, what kind of things, or what kind of uh, flaws in stories do you see the most often? So there's just oh, people can avoid doing it. Well, no, <coughs> that's the difficult part. Because most stories are not bad. Most stories are just mediocre. They're not interesting. They don't do anything interesting in the language or in what their approach to the subject or in the characterization. And if you don't have the formula of putting, not, I wouldn't say a formula because I don't mean it's formulaic. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the combination of creation, creating an interesting world for me to read, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, or horror, and I don't think edit, any editor will continue reading, no matter who the writer is. I mean, if you know, it doesn't matter if it's someone I've published. 50 times, if I, you know, us, that one story may not work for me. Right. She's rejected me. Right. Of course, and I've rejected her. <laughs> 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 Just now, sitting here. So, I mean, but to be specific, I'd have to talk about an individual story. You know, it's like, it's, you can't, I can't be specific. It's a story by just story basis. To some extent, it seems to me that the question presupposes that you're going to read the stories all the way through, and at right. some and point, not, very quickly, you're not. I'm not, right. unless right. there's something I really like about the story to begin with. If there's something that excites me, I mean, I'm not thinking about, oh, it's got excitement for me. It had, when I'm reading a story, I want to be involved in it for when it's published or not published, if I'm looking at it for submission, I want to continue, be, I want to be interested by what's going on. If I'm not 
compelled to read more, I have no reason to continue reading more. Yeah, I want to say one thing about that before I give you okay. a chance. Um, <laughs> when she says, I want to be interested, what interests one editor is not always what interests another. That's true. Yeah. Ellen, I submitted two stories to Ellen last year at Tor.com. She bought one. What was the other one? She so bought I've one. Heard, I completely forgot the ones I reject. I yeah. don't know. She <laughs> bought one. That's a title. One. <laughs> o N E is a title. It's a novella. Um, for Tor.com. It's a novella. And the other one called Frog Watch, she rejected. And I remember nothing about it. Sheila Williams bought it. It's in, it was in, in Asimov's a couple months ago. And Sheila loved it. And it, I say this not to, to, just to point out to you that when an editor rejects a story, part of it is your level of skill, but part of it is that particular yes, editor taste. has certain tastes <laughs> and certain responses. And it may be that another editor will feel differently about your story. In this case, of course, Ellen was wrong, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the story I have in uh, the October November Asimov's, No Others Are Genuine, uh, went to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction first and was rejected by Gordon Van Gelder uh, with a a handwritten note that began, alas, as almost all of his notes do. Alas, yes, he still uses alas. Alas, this is not for me, and I'm going, fuck you. Anyway. So I send it, and this is something about guidelines. You're talking about guidelines and stuff. I had not sent a story to Asimov since the year 2000. Really? So this, yeah, this was the first. Were you having a with that? No, I just was being invited I was being invited to write stories for anthologies enough that I wasn't writing anything that basically wasn't okay. solicited for. So this was the first thing I'd written that I felt like this belongs in either FNSF or it belongs in Asimov's. So the first thing I've written since 2000, I send it, put it in an envelope and send it to Asimov's. I don't read their guidelines because I'm KAT smart, right? So I don't get any, I don't get any feedback. I get nothing from Sheila. From Sheila Williams, the, the editor, no, no, nothing comes back, no rejection, no anything. And of course, I'm thinking, well, the longer it's there, technically, the more she's thinking about whether she wants it or not. But two months go by, finally, and I, I, you know, I send her an email. I'm going, I just want to check, Sheila, that you've got this story that I sent you. And she said, Did you send? Did you send it electronically, or did you send a physical copy? I said, what? Send a physical copy? She says, we hardly ever get any more physical copies of things. Everything is online. You should read the guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes digging, and it's been buried under the handful of, of physical copies they get because they don't pay much attention to those. So I'm, you know, like beating my head against the You're not the in the loop. Wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and as soon as she said that, she opened up, and she, she loved the story, and she bought the story. So as... The long, read guidelines. The long version is, one, read guidelines, and two, she's absolutely right. One editor may not like your story at all, but that doesn't mean your story's bad. That is, so, it might mean it's bad. It I mean, might. You know, but, the, I'm just <laughs> the novella version of Beggars in Spain, which won a Nebula and a Hugo, the first place I sent it was rejected. Um, and I'm not going to say what it was, because this was a long time ago, and I don't want to embarrass whatever. Yeah, and also there are different reasons why it was rejected. rejected. For example, at Omni, we rarely, we have never published novellas except once I think we published. That wasn't the reason. No, but I'm just saying that, that not all, you know, that certain venues don't publish a certain type of fiction. Analog would not publish a fantasy. 
Right. You know, or they might now. I mean, it's changed editors, so you don't know. I mean, there are differences in different editorial tastes. But but length is a, is something that's important. Um, to physical magazines more than easiness. Yeah, you can place a 3,000-word story, or you have much more chance of placing a 3,000-word story than you do a... 10,000 words. No, that's not true. Story. You 10, don't think so? No, but 40,000. 40,000. Yeah. 40, 40, no, for yeah. me, 3,000 word stories are usually not meaty enough for me to buy. Okay. So mm-hmm. I prefer. But I'm thinking for the digest magazines. I think there are more slots for shorter fiction than there are for Well, for novellas, but not 10,000. Okay. That's a novelette. For right. something over 12,000 <laughs> words, maybe, but not 15. 15 and up is not. not it right. might be a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. novella is really difficult. Yeah. Except more publishers, at least in England, <laughs> and Wolf Ahara doing standalone chapbooks in the mail. So, I mean, we have questions already. <laughs> they have questions okay. too. <laughs> where, where do you draw your lines between novella and novella? Well, novella. it depends on whether you're talking about the nebula rules or the HWA. Well, well, for nebula, Stefo <laughs> has drawn the rules for you for, for science fiction and fantasy. Zero to 10,000 words. Is a short story. No, it's 74,999. <laughs> 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 <
So it's a really fine line. Do you find it funny, though? I don't... I'm not looking for funny. It's not a Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's funny, I'm not going to use it for your best, unless it's also horrific. And as I said, it's a very fine line. A most horror that's funny to me is not horror. I mean, now, an example is... An exception might be the night we missed the horror show by Joe Lansdale, which is totally horrific, but does have humor in it. But that's really, really difficult to pull off for me. I mean, other people love horror, humorous horror. But as an editor, for my year is best, or for what I publish, I find it's usually not, it's usually the humor offsets the horror for me, usually. I can say, I, I've written one humorous horror story. Uh, again, these anthologies I've been invited to. Daryl Schweitzer invited me to submit a story for an anthology called Cthulhu Reigns. And I wouldn't normally write a Lovecraftian story, um, for which reason I decided I want to do something completely different with this that's about H.P. Lovecraft. And a writer I loved and adored had just died, Donald Westlake, uh, who wrote the Dortmunder novels, which are just the funniest crime novels anybody's ever written. And I thought, I'm going to do a Dortmunder Cthulhu story. So I wrote uh, a short story that is my version of Dortmunder, whose name is Detweiler, um, who's essentially a, a, a crook who can't help being a crook, it's just in his nature, who inadvertently opens the door to the old ones and lets Cthulhu in. So and bad things ensue. And bad things ensue. So <laughs> but, it, but it's all done as a, more, uh, a humorous horror story, because I really didn't want to do it. The yeah. standard love But I would like to put a caveat that you, it doesn't mean you can't have humor in a horror story. You know, you can have a joke, you can have something funny happening, but that's different from a humorous horror story, where the whole... Is your point. intent to horrify? Is your intent to make people laugh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to say something a little different on editing. Um, your first editor should be yourself. I see a lot of students, because I teach all the time, who write a story, and they don't want to change anything from their first draft. They said, this is what I intended to say, and so I've said it, and that's that. But you should be your own first editor. And that requires the ability to step back and look at it, the story, as though you've never seen it before. Some people find it useful to put it away for a month or two. Um, others don't need to do that. But step back, pretend you've never seen it and you know nothing about it, and you're coming to it as a cold reader and start reading and, and making notes on what works and what doesn't work. And I think that's one of the hardest things to learn as a writer, which is to edit yourself. But you need to be your own first editor long before you reach Ellen. Well, because but, 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 but. Many writers, new writers, cannot do that until they are edited by someone else. I mean, Bill well, Gibson told me I became the editor on his shoulder. I mean, because he didn't know how to self-edit. And many new writers, you know, you can say, yes, you'll learn to do it. But some writers, you, well, as an interim between engaging Ellen, as Bill Gibson <laughs> did to do it, and, and, and not having a clue, is taking a good writing workshop or class from a professional who will address this, mm -hmm. because that's the point but, of such a class. But when you do take a class, you need to look for a working writer who publishes regularly and who likes science fiction. There are creative writing teachers who have a sort of sneering attitude toward mm -hmm. science fiction. You will not learn very much there. But you, you need to learn whether you can get Ellen to teach you, or whether you can get, uh, take a class, or whether you can learn it on yourself. You need to be your own first editor. 
That's yeah, that is some. That's the ideal that you have to you need to learn how to edit yourself before it ever goes out. And alternatively, but related to what you're saying about taking a writing class, is try to find a critique circle or critique group whose opinions you value, um, whose writing skills you value too, so that they're writing at least at the level you're writing at, possibly higher. They may not like I know. <laughs> yeah. But get feedback from those people and, and at least try to triangulate the comments that you get, the feedback you get from them. That can be very helpful. That's a form of editing too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're doing your first self-editing and you're reading this thing as if it's new, what are the questions that you're asking yourself kind of in your head? Like, is it like, is this interesting or? For self-editing? Yeah, for self-editing. What I do, when I have a story that's problematic, and what I have my students do too, take the story and look at it scene by scene. Your story should be written in scenes. It shouldn't just all sit down and start spewing out whatever happens to come into your mind. It should, it should be written by scenes. And a scene is a unit in itself. A scene introduces the situation or characters, especially an opening scene. And then there is some kind of conflict or something going on. And a scene has a purpose. And there are only two purposes to including a scene. And ideally, a scene will do both. It advances the plot or it deepens the characterization. And ideally, a scene will be doing both. So you look at just this whole, this the scene, not the whole story yet. And you say, okay, I'm looking at this scene. Is it clear where it is? Is it clear when, we, when it is? Is it clear who's on stage? I have read stories where halfway through the scene, somebody suddenly has a line of dialogue that I didn't know was in the scene. Um, I want to know who's there. Does it have a point of view that's consistent? Um, what is the purpose of this scene? Is it achieving this purpose? Does it have some kind of tension or conflict of its own? And does it end in a way that makes me want to read the next scene? So if you edit your work going through scene by scenes and saying, why is this here? There's a famous story about P.T. James, the British crime writer. When she wrote the first Adam Dagley-ish um, novel, she included eight pages where Adam Dagley-ish goes into a cathedral and contemplates the stained glass, how it's made and all the rest of it, because um, P.T. James is very fond of stained glass. So there's eight pages of Adam Dagleish and stained glass, which have nothing whatsoever to do with the story. So her editor said, you have to cut these eight pages of stained glass, because they have nothing whatsoever to do with the story. So she did. Second Adam Dagleish novel, the eight pages of stained glass are bad. <laughs> and the editor said, you have to cut these, stained glass, these eight pages. They have nothing whatsoever to do with the story. So she did. Third Adam Dagleish novel, they're back. And by this time, she was an international bestseller and could do anything she wanted, and the editor said, oh, what the hell, leave <laughs> I want to add something that not everyone writes scene by scene, and I don't think you have to. I mean, when I talked to Kate Wilhelm and David Knight in the class, Kate writes scene by, wrote, well, writes scene by, by scene. scene. Not, and it's not in order. She writes in scenes. Like that, okay. Like the best parts of Damon yeah. said he started from the beginning and went to the end. Oh so you, yeah, but that's but, still but, scene by scene. You still think it's still you're slurring it out. But you in some ways, what, what you're describing in terms of looking at the scene and breaking the scene down and analyzing them to me, that's editing. Yeah, right? that's, that's what the editing is about. But she right. asked, "How do you revise?" Yes, you right. That was how you wrote. But you don't have to write that one. It's one technique for revising. Another technique yeah. for revising. And there's a reason Kate's a better writer than Damon. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm not getting into that one. I'm sorry. 
I didn't realize it would be like this when I sat in between. Another thing you can think about in terms of revision, when coming at a revision of a story, is, is before you start revising, write down for yourself, what did I intend, what do I intend for this story to do or show? Or compared with that, write the sort of high concept elevator pitch of what is this story about? What, what do I want? When and I then to, edit um, to that. And when I get to edit, if I edit a story, if I'm interested in buying a story, we'll edit. I may. My job, I feel, part of it is to ask a lot of questions. I will go through, I will try to, I will read the story straight through and either love it, hate it, or like it a lot. Um, and if I hate it, then it goes away. I don't have to ever look at it again. If I like it a lot, but I think it has problems, I will start in the second read, even on the first read if I have something jumps out at me, but usually on the second read, I'll make notes as to, okay, to ask the, the author, the writer, what did you intend here? What does this mean? Why is this here? Can you clarify this? This is awkward. You know, I'll make notes as I go through the story, but a lot of the things I have are questions about what do you intend Tell me what you intended here, and then they'll tell me, and I'll say, well, it's not on the page. Alan it's in is your very head, it's not good. on the page. She's edited me a lot. She's very good at saying, you need to strengthen this element. It might be foreshadowing. I, I, this wasn't set up well enough. Or it might be that the character change is not explicit enough. But you're very good at telling me what, when you were editing, mm -hmm. telling me what needs to be strengthened, and mm -hmm. then letting me strengthen it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll find that people overwrite or put too much in. You know, when I... I Sometimes you're on oh, the same wavelength of, hopefully you're on the same wavelength and a writer you work with a lot. Right. And so you kind of almost read each other's mind. You know, they, you know what I'm going to, she knows what I'm going to ask for and she can do it. Other people mm -hmm. I'm, with newer writers who I haven't worked with much, you know, like I'm more hesitant. It's like, oh, are they going to, are they going to do the right thing or are they going to screw it up completely? Which has happened where someone totally disregarded everything I said and changed everything else and really screwed it up. <laughs> and then I don't take the story because I, I don't have the time to deal with this. It's, you, know, if you can't even hear what I'm saying and what's the point. Um, so, so, I forget what my point was. But, <coughs> I don't yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. 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 I did, I did. Okay. So. Uh, what do you do when you... I, I have a story I was writing and it went in a different direction than I thought it was and I, I went to reading and it didn't accomplish what I meant for it to accomplish. Did it accomplish something better? I, I don't think so. Go back and try to figure out where it was wrong. Is it the ending that didn't work? I find the science fiction now, this is completely just from my experience, and it's probably meaningless. But, and, and not with fantasy and horror, but with science fiction, I usually found that when the ending didn't work, something went wrong two-thirds of the way through the story. The author went in the wrong direction. I think that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's not for fantasy and horror. It only seems to be, as far as I, my experience, science fiction. That's exactly where I think of it off. Well, then you have to go back, figure out where you went off, and then... I don't, well, see, I don't know how to Take teach. You tell me what to do next. Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to go right turn at Santa Fe. Instead. Yeah, go back to the point where you, you think you jumped the rails from where you intended the story to go or thought the story was going. Why did you do that? Figure out why your story made that left turn and try to at least back up before that. Mm -hmm. And I say usually at least a scene before that to come back at it. Mm -hmm. don't, don't start right from the point where you see the story broke, if that's the right way of putting it. Go back before that because something else 
was influencing you to go over here instead of over here. And then there are stories that I have bought that I've liked, but liked a lot, but the ending never quite worked, and I you work on it and work on it with the author, and it becomes this frustration because you can't figure out what is slightly... I mean, I, I bought some of these stories because I liked them anyway, but it's still frustrating because I felt the story wasn't perfect because some, we could not figure out what was wrong. And that happened with a, a story by Gardner I bought years ago for Omni. Um, I'm blanking on the story it was. I'd have to look at the list of what I published. And I was just very frustrated. I don't know if he was frustrated that he made yeah. a sale. You know I can't One remember, of the last I know was frustrated. Yeah, and it was just yeah. frustrating because neither of us could figure out write a lot of short what was so. wrong with the, story, with the ending. And we just, it was partly because it was a, it was a brain thing. It was a, mis, it was a synesthesia of the, off, of the character or something, and we couldn't get it there. We just couldn't. You couldn't express, get him to express it. That was very frustrating. Today's sponsor, Audio Comics, one of the country's foremost audio drama companies, and Zero One Publishing, creators of the graphic novel Titanium Rain, have launched a Kickstarter campaign to turn the cyberpunk graphic novel Utopiates into a full cast audio drama. Described as Blade Runner meets Train Spotting, the piece follows the lives of four people whose paths intersect by way of a drug that allows users to swap personalities. Pledge gifts include books, CDs, original art, the chance to have a character named after you, and you can even have the star of MTV's Ian Flux, Denise Poiret, record your outgoing voicemail message. Visit and pledge to the Utopiates Kickstarter today, located in the Publishing, Radio, and Podcast section on Kickstarter. So I'll, I'll tell you... Before your stories get to Ellen, however, um, and you may do all your your own first reading. Well, I, I, I do now. Yeah, I taught except a, for the years that sometimes I, those are published so totally they didn't. I taught a, uh, <laughs> a, a a short workshop this morning for a Paradise Icon, and I was dealing specifically with beginnings. Um, I was the slush. Nah, I can't even say that. Slush pile reader for Asimov's magazine for about six months, many years ago. Um, because that's all you can do. After six months, you go out and you commit seppuku and it's over because <laughs> you, you can't survive reading that stuff overnight. So, um, do you all know? Do you all know what slush pile is, right? Okay, but a couple people shaking their heads. Okay, slush pile is essentially the fiction that comes into the magazine that's by people that the editor has never heard of before, uh, don't have a publishing track record in any way that they can point to as well. Uh, so it frequently goes to a first reader at the magazine, which isn't always the editor you sent the story to. It's usually to. not. It's usually not. And for a while, when Gardner does what was the editor of Asimov's, uh, he lives in Philadelphia, I live in Philadelphia, I became the first reader for him uh, as a cheap way to make money and not have to leave my house. Um, and they got approximately 200 stories a week. So I would get a box every week with 200 stories in it. And when I started out being the slush pile reader for Asimov's, I diligently tried to read all the way through to the end of the stories. And that was good for maybe the first three of them. And then I went, this is going to drive me insane. But wasn't it kind of relaxing after a while? Well, I after mean, a while it was very relaxing because I didn't have to read the whole story. No, right. I mean, um, after a certain point, you know, oh, I, you can, know, get, no, I can get all no. these stories yeah. off my desk. You should yes, be getting yes. two things out of this. One is that your opening should be polished over and over to It's the, the most important part of your story. And yeah. the second is that 
When you send a story to Asimov's, you're not competing with 200 people because most of those are so bad that you're only you're competing with the top five, ten yeah. percent, which yeah. cuts makes your odds better. Yeah. So this is encouraging. So yeah, the first few paragraphs of your short story are absolutely essential, and you can't write those paragraphs correctly until you've written a draft of the story. There is no way you're going to get the beginning of your story right until you get to the end of it. So as I said to the group that I, I talked to this morning, do not psych yourself out of starting the story because you don't know the right place to start it. Because trust me, it won't be the right place even if you think it is. You'll get to the end of the story and you'll find out, oh, this is what I needed to put in in order to aim this story at that ending that I discovered. Not always, but a lot of the times what you write for a beginning does not turn out to be the actual beginning sentence or paragraph of your story. And that's a really critical thing to write. Can you speak to strengthening your editing skills when you're editing others? I kind of get thrown into it and I I keep trying to get better at editing other people's work. Um, Are you talking about line editing or overall? No, overall story editing, books. Okay, first of all, when I read a story, I want to be involved in that story. Mm-hmm. So when I'm initially reading it, I will be theoretically involved in the story. I will not be editing. I will be reading it as a reader. Maybe the ideal reader, but I will be reading it through. I want to get involved. <clears throat> do not want to get caught up on problems. If I do, I'll take notes, and that will stop me up a little bit. If I'm interested in the story, I will read it again carefully. Um, the more times I read it, the less I get co- Hopefully, well... To be an editor, you have to not let yourself get caught up in the story all the time. You can't line edit it. Mm-hmm. So what happens sometimes, I mean, I do my final line edits um, before I'm putting a story into production. And by that point, it could be six months later for an anthology, for anything. And by that point, I may get caught up in the story again, which means I can't really focus on the editing process, which has to be apart from being, you cannot, if you actually are trying to line edit, and that means going over each story, each line, line by line, and figuring out if there are problems with it, you have to not get involved in the story again, right. and again, and again. <laughs> you know? Now, it's different for the year's best. I'll reread stories over and over again, and the ones that, but I'm not editing yeah, them. Right, yeah, and those stories that, that I still can stand after reading three or four times will probably be the ones <laughs> I may take for the year's best, but that's a different type of right. processing, okay? Right. But for editing, you really have to separate yourself from being involved in the story, because that's not what you do. And now some stories don't need any editing. They're very, very rare. But I have come across, I'd say, no more than five stories in my entire career have I come across stories that didn't need anything. I mean, barely a line edit, nothing. And wow, when you get those, it's like, oh my god, I can't, you know, that's really cool. But but that's you, very rare. When you first start out reading a story, are you trying to put no. yourself in the mindset of not editing the story and getting I'm just trying to read it? the story. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm reading the story to enjoy the story. If something knocks me out of the story, it means something <coughs> is awkward, something is not quite working, but I still might, I hope to still get involved in the story. So that's the first step. I mean, if I'm not involved in the story to begin with, I'm not going to want to buy it, probably. So it's teaching you, it's reading the story enough times if it's something you think you want to buy. Otherwise, don't bother. <laughs> I mean, if unless, you know, unless you're only doing very few stories, a little bit of story editing, you have to get to the point where you can separate yourself um, from, like, a, like the writer. You have to, you know, look at technique in a way. You know, you have to 
look outside of yourself and not be involved in the story or you can't edit it while you're involved in it. Does that help at all? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's basically just keep reading, reading. So, so <laughs> the basically, the more I edit, the better I'm going to. Yes. I mean, I'm still edit. learning how to edit. Yeah. I right. mean, I will never stop learning things. But what did you learn? Did you huh? just learn by doing, or did you? Learn I learned by doing. Learn? The only actual hands-on editing teaching I had ever gotten was when I started working in Omni, and this was when I was not working full. I wasn't even working for Omni. I basically I was hanging around saying, "Hey, hire me, please." You know, <laughs> and. Uh, what happened, how I got there, I mean, Ben Bova was going, he didn't have an assistant, he had a secretary. She didn't read any of the slush or read nothing, so he was the fiction editor. And he was going away to Brighton, the first Brighton in 1979, I think. And I was going to California for the first time, and we would, we didn't overlap for a week. I mean, I was going to get home a week before he did, and I said, I'll read your slush pile for you. And God help him. I don't know why I came out of nowhere with just... First he said, let me think about it, you know, because I came from book publishing, mainstream book publishing, mm -hmm. although I was interested in science fiction. And he came back and he said, sure. So, I mean, I had to slush pile this high. And I finished, I read it. Okay, but, so anyway, when that happened, and he was happy with what I did, he had me come in, he was made editor. Well, at that time he was still fiction. All right, he had me come in, he gave me a story. I don't know who it was by, I don't remember anything about it. He said, edit the first page, first three pages. I said, okay, I have no idea what I did. Mm -hmm. He actually sat down with me that day and said, why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? That is the extent of anyone teaching me how to edit. It's either you have it or you don't. And you learn on the job. You, no one can teach you how to edit. I mean, copy edit is completely different. Yes. Copy edit is punctuated. You can be taught how to copy edit. Um, but editing is something you just learn. Either you can do it or you can't. You may never have the ear for it. You may never be had the skill for it. Um, the intuition, whatever it needs to do it, you know. But no, you cannot be taught how to edit. And I continue to continue to learn on the job. Mm -hmm. okay. Now he's in. Well, you yes. Eventually, yes. Um, as someone who knows uh, a number of writers, I wind up doing a lot of uh, blind and second reading. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you know, this is good. This is bad. I yeah, I do a little bit of editing here and there for them, but. Uh, I really think that a couple of my people are ready to be submitted. Would you suggest that they uh, submit themselves or go through an agent? For short, For short fiction. fiction, very few agents are going to bother with you because the money is so minimal. No, they should just submit it themselves. If, if, you, if you have a not, well, some of it's short fiction. Uh, the stuff that I'm reading right now is mostly novel-like stuff. Mm -hmm. okay. If they can find an agent. They should try, because mo there are very few oh, book publishers that will take unsolicited now, novel manuscripts. <coughs> so yeah, they should try for an agent. And well, I'm not even sure how you do. I know you do the query letter and you do a chapter or something. Each agent has a website, and they and they'll tell you what they want to say. They have guidelines the same as the magazines have guidelines. Mm -hmm. so guidelines. Yeah, and, they're, and they, they don't even agree on query letters. Some of them want a query letter that's no longer than a page. Some people want a query letter and an outline or a synopsis. Some people just want the whole manuscript. Yeah, exactly. So whatever they tell you. Okay. You now. Oh. <laughs> Benjamin. Uh, the question is for Greg. Uh, um, oh. Uh, um, did you... Uh, I'll hide. Did you, were you saying you only read the first page of the slash? Um, for the most part, unless that, it was that's good. What, unless, unless it was, it was good. Decent. Yeah, if it didn't get me to the, I mean, you know, your first page on a on a story that's 
formatted correctly would, you know, in print was about three paragraphs. Sometimes maybe. you'll skip to the end. Yeah, and, and sometimes see, you'll skip you know, to the end. And then and see if you if like the end, better. then maybe you'll go back. But in okay. general, by reading through the ones that I read through, I found that if the story was really not working on page one, it was still really not working on page ten. It didn't, you know, much improve. It was rare. And the thing about it is, the editor of the magazine isn't there, unfortunately, to teach you how to write. So if you haven't written a functional story, they're not going to spend any time really helping you uh, because they've got to go read the next of the 200 stories that they've got to get through for that week just to see if they yeah. can buy. I sometimes hear from students saying, well, I got a rejection, but all it was was a form letter. How am I supposed to learn anything from that? And I tell them, well, you won't because it's not the editor's job to teach you. Now, it's your job to either learn it yourself or find a teacher who you were hired through a class. <laughs> but the editor's job is not to teach you to write. The editor's job is to find stuff he or she wants to publish. However, if you do get a rejection letter that's a note written to you from the editor, that's good. you're about this far away of getting published. Mm, not necessarily. From that. <laughs> Size matters. Um, so <laughs> you're, you're very if you get close. a letter saying, I really like, like the story, the story it's not going to send course and send yeah. it, why don't you try this on another pub? And they'll say, try it on FNS. And yeah. Then do that. Then yeah. there's, a, yeah. there's a ladder of rejection yeah. slips. At the bottom is the form letter. And, and above that is the a note on this the form one doesn't letter. On the form letter, you scribble, they scribble a note, this doesn't work for me, but try me again. Yeah. And they mean it. And then Believe next, me, we don't say try me again if we don't mean and it. And then in your next query letter, you say, thank you for your feedback on my previous story, even though it was only try me again. Maybe this one you'll like better. You're jogging their mind and trying to get past the first reader. And you're jogging their mind that, you know, they said something to you. Above that is, and Gordon will send these out. A last but. <laughs> but he will explain often why he is not taking this story. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's right. very good and generous with new writers. And then above that <laughs> is a letter that says, if you revise such and such, I'll take another look. No promises. Yeah. And then above that is, is, a, is a, you know, I want to work with you on this. And yeah. we can. But it's a ladder of rejection slips, and you go up through it. Mm -hmm. I have a little piece of paper. When Robert Silverberg, this is decades ago, was editing Orbit? Or New, Dimensions. New Dimensions. New Dimensions. Um, I got a, and manuscripts went back and forth then to mail. There was no electronics. I got a, a manuscript back for him with a tiny little corner of yellow paper, I still have it, that he ripped off from something that said, sorry, no, and clipped up underneath the paper clip. And that was it. And I keep meaning when I see him at conventions to bring it up to him and, and wave it at him and say, see, look what you sent me all that time. Get him to sign it. Didn't even sign it. It wasn't even a form. It was just a little no, no, piece of yellow paper. Sorry, no. <laughs> 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 sorry. To show you somewhat the arbitrariness of this, too, there's a, a somewhat famous story, and some of you may know this story already, about Gene Wolfe. When he was first starting out publishing in the late 60s, um, sent, was sending his stories and diligently doing what you're supposed to do, which is if the story comes back, you put it in an envelope immediately and you send it off to the next market. And I think, was it Fred? Bill might know. Was Fred it Fred Pohl? Fred Pohl yeah. was the editor of both Galaxy and Astounding, is that or right? If, no, or, been, or if, if, not Astounding, okay. probably okay. If, if and Galaxy. Galaxy. Yeah. So Gene sent his story off to one of those, Galaxy. And Fred Pohl's the editor. Fred reads the story, sends it back to him with a note saying, you know, Gene, I really like this story. I think if you change this and this and this and this, I'd be interested in seeing it again. Gene 
doing what he's supposed to do diligently, takes that note off because he's not done sending it to all the possible markets, <laughs> sticks it in an envelope, and sends it back to the other magazine that Fred Pohl is editing. <laughs> so Fred Pohl gets it like two weeks later and reads it, sends him, buys it with a note saying, Gene, love the changes you made. <laughs> I really liked it. A lot of chunk. The middle of the story was a an African revenge play in the middle of the story, and I said, "Please cut some of this. You really need to cut some of this stuff." And this was also, and he still doesn't use email. But anyway, so what I do when I get rewrites, I compare the original with the rewrite. Okay? <laughs> and I saw that. He didn't change anything. He just moved the paragraphs. So you're too efficient. You're too <laughs> <laughs> I said that you won't be that thorough about it. You can't know, Yeah, and now you can do it on the screen, too, except yeah. it never matches up. <laughs> you know, so I, no, I check. And I said, Howard, you didn't change. You didn't take out a word. I and mean, I think I took it any, I mean, I think I let him go, but it's like, don't think you're fooling me. <laughs> said, you didn't do anything but move this paragraph around. <laughs> you creep. <laughs> Earlier you were talking about uh, stories that you can't figure out where to fix it. And a lot of times artists have, it just they, they don't know when to stop uh, editing or, or fixing things. Do you have a point where you just say, okay, I'm done, I can't do this anymore? Or As a writer or editor or both? Both. Well, I, okay, when I started on the, Mark Laidlaw sent me a story called 400 Boys. I really liked it, but I, it was a mess. I don't remember why it was a mess. It, I mean, it was maybe his second story. He had published a collaboration with Greg Benford called, Benford called Hiss of Dragons that was an album before I got there. And then he sent me the story for him. I really liked it, but there were problems with it. And so he rewrote it. I don't even know, I don't remember what I told him today once or anything. And he sent it back. He kept sending it back. And... I think I stopped asking him to send it back. It's like, just leave me alone already. But he'd send it back, and then the next to last time he made, he really screwed it up. I said, go back to the last version. And I finally bought it. <laughs> um, I mean, but he did, it, sometimes you just have to let go, and either you accept it or not. That happens even now. There was a story, I have one original story in my anthology, um, The Cutting Room, by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, and I really liked his story, but I felt there was something not right about it. And it's not that long. It's only like 3,000 words and maybe less. And when we actually talked about, well, I thought something else was going on. That what, that when I, it's a question like, okay, what's going on here? This is how I see it. He said, no, no, that's not happening. I said, really? Because it's much more interesting if, you had, if that was going on. It's like, really? That's not going on? It's too bad. It's less mysterious, <laughs> but okay. But I mean, he rewrote it a few times and um, I mean, now that I reread it now, months later, I like the story a lot. And I knew I was going to buy it, you know, but there were still things about it that didn't quite gel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it happens, you know, that either you and the author can't quite get it together, or maybe you do finally get it together. You know, so, yeah, it happens. Yeah, and you just have to let, you let go. Some, oh, one of my Clarion students, I, you have one-on-ones, and... I don't remember which one it was, but this past year. He said, how do I, I've rewritten this story 
four times. How many times should I rewrite it? I said, how many times have you rewritten it so far? Three. I said, stop at five. I said, don't rewrite it again. Just five. I mean, it's like, okay, I'll give you an overturn minute. Stop at five. Do not rewrite it again. Please. You know? You know, at some point, you have to let it go. And if you show it to an editor, maybe the editor, if it needs a rewrite, maybe they will try to tell you why or help you with it. But at some point, you can't keep rewriting and rewriting. You just have to let it go. And it's, it's basically, if you're sick of your own story, you know it's time to let it go. Or put it aside for six months or eight months, even. There's a, there's a quote from someone, and I can't remember who, about poetry that says that no poem is ever finished, it's just abandoned. That's um, <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I know. And I think with, with fiction, too, it's, it's somewhat similar. You reach a point where, if you reach the point where all you're doing is, is changing, interchanging two words back and forth and putting this word back in and taking it out again, you're done. And the story, that at least that's, you're done doing that. If you're um, making major changes, then there's something serious really wrong with the story anyway. If, I mean, if you keep making... I have had... Oh, oh, oh well, let me just give one example, please. Hold on to your thought. Okay. I, there's one, ed, one writer who I've worked with a lot who has gotten, I think, more difficult to work with in some ways over time because I had... You don't want to name I will not name that person. Terry and I bought a story, or I bought a, I think it was a collaboration with Terry and I, um, bought the story. It's in, it's gone through copy edit, okay? I think it's in page proofs by now. And this person says, I figured out what's wrong with it. I have to change it into third person from first person. I said, no, you're not. I said, oh, shit. You are not touching this again. And this person would keep rewriting. I mean, she would fix things in copy edit. She would fix things in, and I said, no, you can't do that. And you know, if you keep doing it, I'm never going to buy anything from you again. I didn't, haven't said that yet, but if she keeps doing it, I either ignore her. I said, no, you cannot change the point of view it's now in the gallery. It's yours now. You bought yeah, it. It's yours. Yeah. yeah, it's too late, honey. Why do I <laughs> And I'll give you the initial. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. No, no. One more thing I'm letting go. I had a student years ago who wrote a story, rewrote it for a workshop, and it was really very nice. I was sure it was published. And I said, Jane, you need to send this story out. Um, and then the workshop ended. And she, a couple of years later, she turned up in another workshop. And she had the same story. And I said, Jane, I've seen this. I liked it before. Did you send it out? Was it rejected? Do we need to go over it again? And she says, no, I haven't sent it out. It's not perfect yet. <laughs> and I said, Jane, it's been two years. Perfect. Then, 10 years later, <laughs> I returned to Rochester, resumed teaching there, and she came with the same story. That's depressing. And at this point, I realized that she was not sending it out, not because it wasn't perfect or she wasn't done with it, because she was not going to face rejection. She was not going to face editorial rejection. Did she write other stories that she sold? I don't know. No, she didn't. She's got she that was story and she never going to face Yes, and she, was not, she did not want to face rejection. Mm. Can I throw one thing in? You have to be able to face rejection no, if you want to be a writer. You <laughs> when, if you want to be a writer, you have to be able to face rejection again and again and again, because that's just the way it is. And it's certainly so. easier than being an actor. <laughs> yeah, you get your rejection in the mail or over the email. Yeah. You don't get it in person. No, you're on. Oh, you're on. Okay, <laughs> we've got one minute left. So, very simply, Joe Haldeman a couple of years ago came to... Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Science Fiction Society, which is pronounced Pispis. Um, <laughs> it really is. I'm not making that up. Unlike the original group here, which was called Syphilis, as you know. So, um, 
Joe gave, yeah, Joe gave a talk there, um, and one of the things he said in the talk was that a writer needs three things. And he may, have, he may say this in all his talks, I don't know, but it was really kind of an inspiring and interesting thing. He said, you need talent and you don't need very much of that. Um, you need perseverance and that's what you need more than anything else, an enormous amount of perseverance to not stop just because your story's been turned down or not be afraid to send the story out and take the hit if you get a hit. Um, and the third thing, and he said both of those things are within your control. You control whether you have perseverance, you control, you know, to some extent how much talent you have. And if you don't have a lot of talent, then you've got to be very persevering. You've got to work harder, you've got to play to your strengths and know what those strengths are. It's know thyself and you are the only thing you can control. The third thing a writer needs is luck. And that element is to a great extent out of your control. Um, you can send a story to a magazine that's a brilliant story and the magazine can say, we're really sorry we bought one just like it yesterday and we're not going to buy that story. It doesn't make it a bad story, it's still a brilliant story, but you have to be able to pick yourself up and send that story someplace else where they're going to publish it because they didn't buy something. What I hate is when, writer, when I've turned down a story and said I really like Believe me, if I really don't like a story, I'm not going to say I really like a story. So anyway, if I turn a story and say I really like this, but I can't use it for whatever reason, right. then the author comes down. She hated my story. I thought I did not hate your story. If I, you know, stop it. I did not say I hated your story. You know, like that really annoys me. <laughs> You have probably already read this. I don't know how many in the room have. Teresa Nielsen Hayden had a blog post called Slush Killer. That it started because uh, she, there was a site where uh, authors were posting their rejection letters and saying what they hated about them. Mm -hmm. And she was commenting on this and saying, no, you're reading far too much into this and so on. And it evolved. It, it became this whole post about different levels of, okay, well, if you get rejected at this point or at this point or at this point and so on. And, that there could be so much right with the story without it being... Well, yeah. Let me say one thing about... I don't know this site, but if you're commenting on rejections letters by named editors online... This is a really bad idea. Yeah. Let me just say this. We talk to each other. And <laughs> not only that, the person who is a slush pile reader now and is 21 years old, 10 years down the line, may very well be a junior editor somewhere. Or a senior editor. And 20 years down the line, maybe running a science fiction line. Um, I love everybody. professionals in the business because you don't know that writer may end up editing an anthology that you like. You don't yeah. know where you're going, where people are going to end up. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are there are circumstances in which you have personal relationships with these people, and those can turn rocky. Um, but try to keep the professional relationships as smooth as you can, because you don't know who's going to end up where eventually. And it's really good to not burn your bridges with an individual person. In advance. Mm -hmm. And I think we have time for one more question. Or not. Or not. We're done. We're done. Okay, thank you. Thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Audio Comics and Zero One Publishing. I actually read Utopiates, and I thought it was really cool. The graphic novel has really great art, and uh, I just really enjoyed the, the way that this drug and swapping personalities, how it can be addicting to have new personalities, and uh, just the world building and, and all that stuff. It's good stuff. So I'm excited to see this turning into an audio drama. So go help them out and check it out at kickstarter.com or check out our website with links 
to the direct Kickstarter project. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. <laughs>